welcome to another episode of 13, the bi-weekly podcast where one Colgate University community member answers 13 questions about their work. I'm your host, Daniel DeVries, and today I have the pleasure of speaking with alumnus Daniel Benton and professors Leslie Cushing and Mary Simonson. On February 1st this year, Colgate announced a new $25 million gift from Mr. Benton in support of Colgate's plan for arts, creativity, and innovation, along with other elements of the third century plan. Mr. Benton graduated from Colgate in the class of 1980, and he began his career as a securities analyst in the investment research department at Goldman Sachs from 1984 to 1993. He was the top-ranked computer industry analyst on Wall Street from 1988 to 1993, and Mr. Benton joined Dawson Sandberg Capital Management in 1993 as a technology analyst and portfolio manager. Dan served as president of Pecoit Capital Management, the successor firm to Dawson Sandberg, from 1999 to 2001, uh, where he managed the firm's public market technology funds and staff. During his tenure at Dawson Sandberg slash Picoit, um, the hedge fund's assets increased from $300 million to $15 billion. In 2001, Mr. Benton founded Andor Capital Management, serving as CEO until closing the fund in 2016 and becoming a private family office investor. Mr. Benton received his MBA from Harvard University and his bachelor's from Colgate. He serves on the boards of Colgate University, the Hospital of Special Surgery, and Horace Mann School. He is a past trustee of the Whitney Museum, Memorial Sloan Kettering Cancer Center, Khan Academy, and Northern Westchester Hospital. And as I mentioned earlier, we are also joined by Professor Leslie Cushing, who is the Murray W. and Mildred K. Feinerd Professor in Jewish Studies and Professor of Religion. She is also serving as the Associate Dean of the Faculty for Faculty Recruitment and Development. And in addition to Professor Cushing, we are also joined by Mary Simonson, who is the Daniel C. Benton Endowed Chair in Arts, Creativity, and Innovation, Associate Professor of Film and Media Studies and Women's Studies, and she's the Director of Colgate's Film and Media Studies Program. So thank you all for joining me on the show today. I'll jump right into the questions here and I'll start out with uh, uh, Mr. Benton. I'd like to, um, you know, help um, our audience get to know you a little bit more. And I'm curious about your time at Colgate and, you know, any activities, clubs you were involved in. Um, and I understand, I think you were a mathematics major. It was indeed. Um, yeah, I was kind of a nerd at Colgate. I uh, uh, came in 1976. Um, the school, I guess, has only recently co-ed at that point. Um, I stayed in an all-male dorm because I thought that would be the serious people. Um, it turned out that it was half serious people and half, uh, half uh, very unserious people. Um, but that led to kind of a pretty uh, narrow social life for a while. Um, I, uh, I I gravitated to uh, to uh, math um, and uh, and science classes, but I tell you the thing that that I I uh, value most about my Colgate experience and education um, was was really being exposed to the liberal arts. You know, I mean, I I, I took I took a lot of math, and math um, I think really helps you. 
formulate the way you think. It helps you solve problems. It tells you that there are right and wrong answers, um, unlike economics, which um, you know you're always you're supposed to assume the answer. Um, but I took four political science classes, and I took four art history and architecture classes. Um, you know, I took science classes. I took um, uh, you know class in French literature and French. Um, I mean, these were magnificent experiences to me. And if you look how my life developed, you know, I'm incredibly involved in uh, politics right now, um, in trying to figure out a way to solidify the center. Um, I am, you know, I've been on art museums, I've been on hospital museums. Um, you know, it's just made me a, a more interesting and, and broader person. Were there any professors that, you know, may have had a profound impact on you and, and you know, your ultimate career path? Not necessarily um, my direct career path, but Dan Saraceno was just a marvelous, marvelous math professor. Um, he really turned higher level math into, into you know, fun. It was like doing puzzles. Um, I took... Uh, abstract algebra with him in number theory. And uh, I mean, it was delightful. I just, I just loved going to classes. I imagine um, running an investment firm too requires a bit of a knack for spotting trends long before they have an impact on the market. Um, I guess, how do you look for the next big thing? Um, either, you know, when you were working, um, you know, with Andor Capital or, or even now? That's a great question. Um, yeah, my wife. I tell my wife that my that my superpower is predicting the future. Um, and, uh, that's a good uh, one. And that's you know, but it's it's a lot of what investing is: is pattern recognition. Um, it's seeing what's happened in the past, uh, seeing how companies evolved in the past, how trends evolved in the past, um, and saying, okay, what's different about this one? This is what this is what I remember. Uh, happening in the past. This is what this is how they're similar, but these are how things are different. And and I really think that is uh, that has made me a successful investor. It's you know, if you look at the the computer industry, the history of the computer industry, with the growth of PC companies, Apple at the time it was you know Compaq and uh, and Dell. Um, IBM couldn't compete in that business, even though they had a PC uh, for a whole host of reasons. Uh, most of it being they were the mainframe incumbent and PC sales hurt mainframes. Well, it's the same thing now in cars. Um, you know, there's a reason why Tesla is, is has a huge, huge advantage in electric cars right now. The existing incumbent companies, Ford, GM, uh, et cetera, it's very difficult for them to move into a business that they're just not as good at. Hmm. What was, um, it, when you were at Andor, I'm curious, what was the firm most known for and what were you most proud of during your time at the helm of that company? So Andor was a technology uh, focused hedge fund. Um, you know, it came from my background at Goldman. Uh, you know, I focused only on technology at Dawson Sandberg and Pequot. We built out a very big technology team. And at the time we were the biggest long short hedge fund around 10 billion in assets. Uh, um, actually, 15 at the peak. Um, that is uh, that's that's tiny by today's hedge fund class, but um, but uh, at the time uh, in 2000, it was pretty big. Um, and that's really what we were most proud of was was, was building such a you know such a uh, a giant organization um, with 300 people at the peak. The you know the challenge, as it turns out, in hindsight, was scaling it into a into a sustainable uh, business. A lot of a lot of hedge funds. Are uh, 
are dominated by one or two people at the top, uh, who's you know who are the portfolio managers that that develop a uh, a track record, and it's very difficult to transition that to a next generation when you know when you get tired, mm-hmm. uh, and every and everybody in the hedge fund industry gets tired. Um, so that was that was our goal, and unfortunately, uh, we just like everyone else, we haven't been able to we weren't able to achieve that. So your new gift uh, to Colgate um, will create the Benton Center for Creativity and Innovation, uh, the anchor of a two-building, 36,800-square-foot complex on Colgate's middle campus to house computer science, film and media studies, theater, and dance. What do you find exciting um, about this space, and what inspired you to donate to this initiative in particular? You know, I was talking in the beginning about how how my breath of exposure at Colgate really made me a better person. I am, I am just a strong, strong advocate for the liberal arts. And, uh, you know, I, I talk to the Benton scholars, um, once a year, we all read a book together and we, uh, we share our thoughts. But in the beginning, I go around and, and ask everyone to introduce themselves themselves. And these are first year students, uh, and tell me what their plan, you know, tell me, what are your plans and what do you want to major in whatever? And I can't tell you the number of double majors, that I hear of, and I just, I just, I just, you know, put my head in my hands. Um, The value of a place like Colgate is that you can be exposed to many, many, many different things. Um, And, uh, you know, as as Steve Jobs said, the the marriage of technology and and arts is, is, you know, is what makes our hearts sing. Um, When, when, you know, Leslie first told me about this idea of moving um, computer science um, and film and media studies into the middle campus, surrounded by uh, you know the rest of 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 the performing and fine arts. I just um, I mean that was I you had me at hello. Um, that that really that, that was really terrific. I'll kind of set the stage for people that maybe aren't familiar with Colgate's campus, but we what we're referring to as the middle campus is this area between Case Library and over to Little Hall and Dana Art Center. And it's kind of like a corridor there. And right below that is the James C. Colgate Student Center. Um, and this question is primarily for Professors Cushing and Simonson. I'm, I'm curious how the idea of an expanded middle campus um, and a push uh, for excelling in the realm of arts and creativity and innovation, where, where did that all come about? And I guess, how did, how did this idea um, germinate? I'll talk. Um, I'll start by talking a little bit about the middle campus, and then I think I'm going to go to Mary for sort of specifics on um, this cluster of of things that we're putting together that um, Dan has so graciously <laughs> set in motion with his gift. Um, so the middle campus is a kind of lost space, I think, on the Colgate campus. We have a very defined upper quad. Um, we have a sense of a kind of athletics realm. It needs some maybe refinement over time too, but there is a, a kind of identity there. Um, Broad Street, you know, motley buildings, though they are, they there is a, a kind of neighborhood there. Um, and then there's this transitional space between what is down the hill and what is up the hill. And, and these buildings that in themselves are kind of interesting and important. Little is a fabulous building, really well designed. Case Geyer is a hub of activity. Dana is our, you know, our theater space on campus. Um, but they don't connect to each other and they don't really have a kind of coherence of theme or idea across them. And and we really saw this as an opportunity to kind of grow a new quad on the campus and develop our performing arts, which um, the buildings in the performing arts have been a little under 
attended to, I would say. Um, so improving those, but but taking the moment rather than sort of thinking about it as deferred maintenance or fixing uh, what we don't have quite right yet, we saw this as an opportunity for doing something that our peer schools don't do, right? So bringing together more than just the performing arts, creating these synergies across computer science, film and media studies, and theater, dance, and music. Um, our museums also are a big piece of this middle campus puzzle, um, as are um, some of our programs in Native American studies and Africana and Latin American studies. We see these with creative writing as well, kind of creating this really robust, um, diverse, engaged um, curriculum that pushes us in directions that we haven't seen other schools going and we're really excited about it. Mary uh, is one of the major masterminds behind the thing that emerges as the Benton Center. And so I'm gonna turn to her to talk a little bit about the, the set of things that we imagine coexisting in that space. Yeah, sure. And I think um, there was such excitement uh, moving from, you know, we've been thinking about the arts at Colgate in terms of music and theater and the museums for many years and, you know, developing plans. And there was a moment where, thanks to Leslie, we had a room full of people um, from all over campus. Uh, and that was, I think, the moment of real excitement. And it's a it's a difficult, maybe a more difficult solution, um, but a way more exciting one to have lots of, of programs who have all kinds of intersections and you know ways in which our work interacts, but normally wouldn't come together. Um, and from, from film and media studies, you know, we're an interdisciplinary program. We're not a department. And so we pull faculty from all across campus. And we are all really invested in collaborating with our colleagues, um, in part because film and media studies is just so interdisciplinary and collaborative as a, as a medium and as a, a, a form of expression. Um, and so we were working all the time with um, our colleagues in theater. We were having lots of conversations already with our colleagues in computer science. We're very closely associated with art and art history. Um, you know, many of the, many of um, my, the faculty in, in that program teach in our program. And so it seemed like an, an obvious way to move forward. You know, why, what would it look like if those people that we're always reaching out to were actually together in, in one space um, and, and were able to bump into each other and not just the faculty, but if our students were able to do that too. Um, and we're seeing more and more students double majoring in film and media studies and computer science and in film and media studies and theater and theater and computer science. And so what would happen if, if everybody was in a room together um, and, you know, I think there's some really interesting possibilities, right? We think about technology and we can think about it in this, in a, you know, sort of um, mainstream way of computers and, and things like that. But we can also think about technologies as analog cameras or as, you know, bodies that, that we inhabit, um, you know, like our arm is a technology in a way, or a pen is a technology. And, and so how can we get students to really expand the way they think about technology, expand the way they think about creativity and innovation and understand the long histories of, of these things. And by understanding that history, then, then seeing innovations and seeing changes becomes, um, becomes something new and unexpected. Um, so, you know, I think we see lots of, lots of possibilities in um, just being in close proximity to each other. You know, we're not doing anything. I think we're following the trends in the arts by doing this. Um, you know, we see composers, I have friends who are composers who are building musical robots and, you know, theater projection, uh, productions are using projected backdrops and holograms and dancers are attaching sensors to their bodies and, 
you know, we're writing music for dance pieces, it's responding to the, the sensors that are on the dancers' bodies or responding to other live music performers. Mm -hmm. But what's so unique, I think, about what we're doing is that at most institutions, it's it that those innovations are happening within departmental silos. And so the music department hires in a technologist or, you know, an art department hires a, a digital artist, um, but there's not always sort of attention to how those people coordinate with each other. And very rarely are, are computer scientists brought into the mix or engineers brought into the mix. And so we are doing something, I think, really bold and innovative by actually bringing the computer scientists into the orbit of people working in the arts and working in media. Um, and, and seeing what happens by that proximity. And that's something we can do because it's Colgate and because it's small and it's a liberal arts uh, institution. Hmm. Can you talk a little bit about the physical plans for the area? I'm wondering if it might be possible to paint a bit of a picture as to what, what it might look like in this area once complete. We're looking at a long-term investment, right? So um, the Benton Center is our first step. We have Dana, which some of our listeners may remember is a brutalist um, mid-century building, um, kind of a fortress, um, which we want to reanimate. Um, in addition, as I said, we imagine a music uh, and culture building and a museum's complex or museum's building. Um, so over time, this, there will be a kind of growth of the region through these capital projects. In terms of the feeling of what we think Middle Campus is about, um, one is this dynamism that I think Mary captured, right? Um, we want this to be a place, it's it's the entryway to Colgate in a lot of ways. Um, we did some research and discovered that more people come to the campus from College Street than they do coming up Oak Drive. So, it, you know, really making this the gateway to the liberal arts and the gateway to the physical campus, um, having it feel really welcoming. We have a very strong architectural vernacular on our campus of kind of stone buildings and they're beautiful. Um, but we want to signal in what we create kind of openness and invitation. So we imagine more glass maybe than is normal in a Colgate building. Um, and part of that kind of transparency, letting people see what's going on, um, having them be drawn in, sort of see the kind of curiosity, what's happening in that building. Um, we imagine workspaces, studio spaces, media spaces that have um, glass windows that, you know, can be closed some of the time if you want to do something that's more intimate or private. Um, as a, particularly as a teacher, I think we don't always want to be, um, you know, observed from the outside um, with the students. It's enough already. Um, but, uh, but really kind of creating these moments for someone coming through to say, this looks exciting. I want to go in. We imagine the buildings being animated day and night. Um, we see the region as also a uh, a kind of hinge to the, the campus as a whole. Uh, it can bring, you know, the Dana Art Center right now has a roof uh, with stairs going up to the campus. It was originally designed as having a bridge that bridged up to the upper quad. So how do we use the buildings that we create and the kind of campus um, that we're making down in the middle campus, uh, a way to trans, you know, traverse from the lower to the upper campus is another piece of it. So kind of um, lots of opportunities for engagement for stopping, for staying, for taking a course and then seeing something else interesting and, and moving on to the next thing. I guess the last thing I would think about sort of the, the vibe of the middle campus is it, it, will, it faces across Whitmillfield onto 12B. Um, and we see everything that we're doing in the middle campus as an invitation, not just to the Colgate community, but to the broader community. And so really saying, hey, 
Colgate is a place where you, who might be a village um, member or you know somebody who lives in the county but isn't connected to the university, you're welcome here too, right? Come in and see what we're doing. Come in and um, see the performances we're putting on, or you know, play in one of the maker spaces that we imagine in one of the buildings. So, really, um, it's about access and an invitation. I think. Does there, um, is there a sense of timeline for this? Like what is the, when, when will shovels go into the ground and, and when do you think this um, expansion could be complete? I think the shovels question um, is being worked out right now in terms of we're getting the program right. I mean, one of the things about the um, scope of what we're doing is there are a lot of moving pieces and um, it's really exciting, but what we set up now needs to kind of lead to all the next steps. So getting the first steps absolutely right, I think is is critical. Um, I hope we see a building within the next couple of years. Um, you know, it snows here, so we have to <laughs> take that into account. But um, yeah, sooner rather than later. It would be disappointing if we don't break ground in 2022. Yeah, that's, he said it, I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> you heard it here first. Um, I'm curious too, uh, so, along with the physical construction and then the idea of bringing these different departments together to work together, do you foresee changes to the academic program in that, you know, new majors, new minors, new areas of inquiry, things like that? I don't know that we'll immediately have new majors or minors, but I think we can, we are already imagining all kinds of new courses um, and new ways of configuring courses. So what would it look like, for example, one thing we've talked a lot about is if the introduction to film and media studies were linked to the introduction to computer science. Um, so students would be taking those two courses at the same time and would be able to take the knowledge from one into the other in sort of a, a really seamless way and potentially do projects that would um, be for both of the classes at the same time. Um, film and media studies and theater have thought about similar kinds of opportunities. Um, we've talked about uh, upper level courses where students are coming at, coming together in a sort of workshop-like space to produce things, right? And so, you know, we've got actors and directors in theaters and we've got in theater and we've got um, uh, students who are learning video art and filmmaking in film. And what would it be like to put together, you know, a workshop type course where they're actually producing short films um, using uh, using each other as, as resources and, and really learning about collaborative processes and things like that. Um, we've also, you know, all of our departments and in the arts do a lot of programming. Um, so bringing filmmakers to campus and bringing artists and productions and things like that. And so I think we are, we have been thinking and, and we'll really be able to continue to think in new spaces that are better equipped about what those possibilities are for bringing in artists and, and makers and innovators who can speak across these disciplinary boundaries. Um, and that I think always affects how we teach because we you know, have our courses go and, and see productions or see um, uh, speakers and then we bring that material back into our classes. But down the road, sure, I could imagine you know, an interdisciplinary arts and technology major or maybe maybe ways of doing focus areas within majors that would focus on you know, certain uh, intersections or things like that. Um, but going back to, to what Dan was saying at the beginning, you know, so many of our students are double majors and or have really interesting combinations of majors and minors. That gives them a space to work things out between, between departments in really creative ways, maybe more creative than we could do by instituting uh, a major that was sort of rigid in, in itself. 
Uh, Professor Simonson, you are, uh, part of your title is that you are the Daniel C. Benton Endowed Chair in Arts, Creativity, and Innovation. And what better time to talk about uh, that role uh, than with the, the gentleman who funded the chair? Um, can you tell me about what that is? And, um, you know, Dan, I don't know if you want to talk a little bit about how that chair came to be. Sure. Um, endowed chairs were sort of a mystery to me until I got a call from our dean of the faculty telling me that um, I was being given one, um, and that it's it's a you know a faculty position. It doesn't mean that I'm in charge of anything new, um, but it means that I have a, a teaching release, so I have a bit more time to do my research under the auspices of the chair. Um, and I have a small research budget that goes along with it. So it's it's a really huge and important thing for faculty. Um, to be able to, you know, free up their time a little bit, um, still be able to be in the classroom, still be able to be on campus, but to be able to um, to work on projects and uh, and produce produce scholarship. Uh, so when I have given the Colgate in the past and continue uh, to do so, my goal in general is to um, is to set an example um, as to something that I think is really important, and hope other people will follow. And with the you know, specifically the chairs. Colgate, as an institution compared to its peer schools, does not have enough uh, an, enough uh, endowed professorships. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, you know, somehow, when I when I when I do something, it gets a little bit it gets a little attention, which is flattering. Um, but when that was pointed out uh, specifically, you know, with the third century plan, that this is an area that we want to focus on. Um, it was a way for me to early on in the process uh, make an endorsement of that part of the plan. Hopefully, uh, inspire others to do so. Um, you know, the the there is uh, a respectful amount of distance between what a giver does and what the university does, particularly um, in the area of pedagogy. So I have no influence whatsoever on who the chair on, on who sits in the chair. I'm very nice. It's very nice to meet Mary. Um, uh, and I'm delighted to uh, to see this go forward. I'll just add um, that, Dan, that that hope that you were maybe goad some of your um, peer alumni to, to do the same. We've now had a second gift of a, a chair in arts, creativity, innovation from the Palmer family. So um, that setting of a model has has worked nicely so far. And the other thing I should have said too, and maybe Dan touched on it, but there's something um, special I think about marking arts creativity and innovation as an area that the university is investing in um, and that we think is important here um, by naming a chair and by having faculty um, uh, in those positions. Great. Dan, one of your previous gifts went toward the construction of what is now known as Benton Hall, the home of career services at Colgate. And that building has won national design awards for its masonry and energy efficiency. Um, I'm curious, when you give to a project like that, how involved are you in the planning and the design of the the, the end product, I guess? That's an interesting question. Um, Brian Casey, uh, our phenomenal president, has a background in architecture, uh, and he's very interested in how things look. Uh, and he introduced the the campus uh, to a firm called Robert uh, A. M. Stern Architects, um, and that was their first their first building on campus was Benton Hall, followed by the two new dorms, uh, Burke and Pynchon, um, uh, by the Coop. 
Um, and, you know, you can see how thoughtful they are and how those buildings all look like they've been there forever. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the, <laughs> I, what I would say is that my two major inputs into Benton Hall, because they really did the work, um, but they had never been in campus before. And they strolled around the campus and visited a lot of buildings and decided what they liked, what they didn't like. Um, so what they really liked, and that's why there's an arch on Benton Hall, what they really liked was that arch, which is also on... Uh, um, uh, with a Haskell. Um, uh, they like the sandstone, uh, which is on the uh, admissions buildings at James B. Colgate, I think. Um, and they like the open ceiling uh, plan of uh, James C. Colgate, the old student union. Um, and my response to those things were, you know, I don't really love the arch, but fine sandstone you know i mean nobody goes to the admissions building uh, uh, to do work or i mean obviously you know the athletic obviously administration does does you know works in the administration building um but it's not an academic building and frankly the old student union is a building that is underutilized the campus and by the way do we really want a ceiling of a um of a uh, of a career center that looks like a german beer hall so I made a couple of observations on those kind of <laughs> items, but for the most part, it's there. Uh, it's there. Oh, and the other thing that I that, that I did is I, I helped get the um, air blower things out of the restrooms uh, and replaced <laughs> with, with paper towel dispensers because, boy, I don't like those things. <laughs> well, I want to go back to trends again. Um, we, you know, touched about trends a little bit earlier, but I'm I'm curious as to each of your thoughts on trends and the future of liberal arts education uh, and institutions like Colgate. Where do you see the space of higher education changing or evolving in the next ten years? And is this, you know, new initiative that we're now pursuing kind of along those lines, or something that's a little different than what others um, may be doing? It's a nice, soft, easy question there, Dan. <laughs> um, I'll, I'll say I, I think we are trying to tap into where we think things are going. You know, we're building where we're going. Um, We've studied a lot who students are these days. You know, they're a different breed, certainly than when I was a student in the 90s. Um, A lot more collaborative, a lot more sort of interested in working with teams, um, trying and failing rather than making sure you always succeed. Um, A a kind of openness to sharing ideas that, maybe always hasn't been among our among students. Uh, and so in particular, the middle campus, I think, builds on all of these student impulses of, of collaborative work, of crossing disciplines, of being willing to experiment and try. Um, we didn't sort of highlight this, but um, there are a number of areas in the middle campus that will have maker spaces, places where students can go and, and tinker and think and try things out. Um, a lot of spaces for um, collaborative and teamwork. Our entrepreneurial um, institute, Thought into Action, will be in the middle campus as well, which we see as a kind of another branch or arm of of this whole ethos. So, um, for me, it's about um, spaces for embodied learning, for for kind of full full body learning, and for experimentation. Um, really thinking not just kind of with your head in a book which is, you know, how, how I love to do things, but um, creating lots of opportunities for other ways to think and learn. Mary and Dan probably have different thoughts on that. No, I think I have, I have many of those same thoughts, um, but I, I would add to that list interdisciplinarity. Um, I think we're really, you know, disciplines are very important and they provide 
um, you know, stable sort of bodies of knowledge for us to work from. But increasingly, I think we're combining and finding points of connection between disciplines and finding really productive ways of thinking about objects or works or whatever um, from uh, uh, methodologies that come from other places. And so I think the middle campus is all about that, right? What can we learn from each other um, as, as scholars and thinkers and you know, people producing knowledge? Um, and I think the other thing that, you know, in the arts, we're all dealing every day with theory and practice, right? And they're inseparable. You can't do something or make something without understanding the theory behind it. And you can't really understand the theory until you've tried to do it. And so how do we bring those two things together and create opportunities where students not only are able to, to learn the theory and do the, the work, but actually see how, um, how intertwined they are. And you know, that's, that's sort of like a life lesson, I think, that, that we're constantly teaching students. I think here, you know, thinking about the future of higher ed is a funny thing right now. Um, in the pandemic era, we are in such a privileged position at Colgate to be able to think about the future. I have lots of um, colleagues who teach in other institutions and they're just trying to keep the lights on. Um, and so how can we use this moment and, and the privilege that we have and the resources that we're so lucky to have to, um, to really innovate and to um, do things that are bold and, and exciting? Yeah, I think that the liberal arts has been on the defensive in these last few years, uh, maybe longer than that, in terms of, you know, what's the use of a liberal arts education? And we do see a trend towards students um, you know, going to programs where, you know, Colgate doesn't offer a finance degree. Colgate doesn't offer a, you know, a, a degree in accounting. Our science is our bachelor's of arts, not bachelor's of science. We don't have an engineering school. And I think a lot of students, um, perhaps driven by their parents, are, are, are headed in that direction um, because they want outcomes. They want, they want, their, they want to think their kid's going to get a job after school. So look, that's one of the reasons why we have Benton Hall in a career center. You know, that was very important to me that we do prove that uh, that Colgate students uh, generate positive outcomes. Uh, that Colgate that Colgate you know prepares them for more things in their life. Um, that's great. But I also think that the the, the central point of what we're doing um, in Middle Campus is creativity and innovation. Creativity is imagination. It's ideas. Innovation is implementation of those ideas. How do you make how do you make this happen? It's creative to come up with the idea of a rocket um, that's gonna land itself. That 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 can be that that can that well the first stage can land and be reused. That's I mean no one's ever done that before. That's creative. Making it work, the the, the person who does that, now that's an innovation, right? That's an innovation. Um, you know, when I look at uh, the, the the programs that we're putting together um, in middle campus and think about Let's think about the video game industry. Let's think about let's think about a, a, a virtual reality video game. What is that? Well, it has a script, it has art, it has music, um, it has animation, um, it has a story. Oh, and it has you know programmers that write this thing, um, and they all get to be involved in the creative process and the innovation process. And that, to me, is 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 really what the liberal arts. We are at question 13. So, Dan, your most recent gift makes you the single largest donor in Colgate history, surpassing our namesake, James B. Colgate. Um, I'm curious if you can remember what your first gift to Colgate was and what spurred you to give at that time. You know, I, I grew up in a family that, uh, you know, 
a, a middle class, upper middle class family. My father was a, a psychiatrist and was an artist. Um, and what I remember from being a young kid is uh, is is them listening to the WBAI, uh, uh, which is the you know the version of National Public Radio today, um, PBS Public Broadcasting. Um, they're they're droning uh, telesons, um, and they would you know, but year after year they'd send their ten dollars or twenty dollars in and they get their tote bag, um, and that made an impression on me, on me. And when I graduated from college. Um, you know, I started what is now a 41-year uh, uh, streak of giving to Colgate every single year. And I don't remember what that first gift was. And maybe it was 10 bucks, maybe it was 25 bucks. Um, but it has been a, uh, you know, something I'm proud of, something I'm very proud of. Well, thank you very much, um, obviously, for your generosity. And uh, I know there's a lot of exciting things uh, in the future here. And I thank you, uh, professors, for, for joining us uh, for the show. Tell your friends and family about the podcast. Um, if our listeners have any questions, uh, please email 13 uh, at colgate.edu. That's 13, the number. And until next time, keep asking questions. 13 is a production of the Colgate University Office of Communications. Audio engineering by Brian Ness. Logo art by Catrail Pritz. Executive producer, Laura Jack. And I'm your host and producer, Dan DeVries. Visit ColgateMagazine.com and ColgateResearchMagazine.com for more in-depth faculty research stories.